Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Post 20 Podcast. You're now listening to episode 193 of the show. My name is Evan. I'm joined as always, uh, well, not recently, but we've been apart, but I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. What's going on? Yeah, I don't know whether it's a happy time or a sad time. The season's finally over. I think it's good. Yeah, I think we need a break, um, especially me. I think just a nice little reset after this weekend finish just to be at ease and not have to worry about um, being embarrassed every other game. So um, from that point, pretty happy fantasy season's over. Managed to clinch it on the final day out of that yeah um and then record wise for the pick just to get this out of the way since we don't have to do this for a while um i guess can reflect uh evan did the best week 38 went five and five kyle was on on uh the last episode with uh, part one with evan if you guys haven't listened to that go check that out he went four and six and then zach and i both went three and seven so overall records for the year this includes everybody that gave picks during the show. Boz one week went three and six. Kyle in his two weeks went five and seven. Uh, Evan and I actually tied. We both went one seventy eight and two oh two. How about it? And uh, Zach went one eighty nine and one ninety one. Wow. So just about fifty percent. Evan and I, I think I checked was a little over forty six percent. And then the other two guys, I guess, small sample size to consider so i think i did two games worse than last year and then you did uh, a considerably lot worse. worse than last yeah. year yeah i, I was think, hot last year i think you had like 12 or 13 more wrong this year yeah i was over was i over 500 last year or close i was close you were one game above 500, 500. last year yeah so i mean that's pretty that's like if if you were betting all of those games, you'd probably be positive just because of your underdogs and your draw picks and stuff like that. Obviously, yeah. I don't do that, and I don't straight bet because I I hate money. But, um, <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, that's that's a season in the books. I mean, we should say that that is the the end of the Premier League. We just got to see match day thirty eight uh, yesterday. We had fuck ton of games i think it was 10 games all off at the same time it was like red zone uh unfortunately i had to stay up last night and rewatch a majority of these games uh i only got to see i think i got to see the majority of leicester city west ham on the tvs at work but it was so busy this is uh this is an insane weekend at the shore uh memorial day weekend so everything else you know pretty much has to go out the window i know in Matt's industry and my industry both, uh, we we have to kind of focus on whatever's at hand. But I've seen a majority of these games, or at least the goals from these games, and I have a pretty good feeling about how they went. Um, should we congratulate our new Premier League teams? Yeah, we have Burnley coming up as champs, Sheffield United runners up, and then for the first time, I think, since... In a long time. 90s yeah. Or, yeah, first time ever in the Prem is Luton Town. I think the first team ever to go to come from the non-league tier to yep. the Premier League. That's right. There was a period there where they had a lot of points deducted for uh, things behind the scenes with the ownership and that, and had a quick decline over a significant time. And now 
within the last nine years. They went from non-league to the Premier League in nine seasons. So something special there. Uh, will be interesting to see how they how they can integrate into the league. They have a lot of upgrading to do with their stadium as well. Yeah, it's severely uh, under the requirement for a Premier League stadium. So ten thousand seats. That's it. Yeah, it's the same as Bournemouth. So we have two 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 uh, stadiums with that can only hold like ten eleven thousand people. Yeah, which is going to be really uh, hurting the away the way uh, and traveling section. So. Um, they're definitely going to have to upgrade if they want to increase their revenue. I don't know how much can be done in a short two to three month span, probably even less than that. Um, so yeah, I mean, congrats to them. The Now their goal is to just stay up just like all the teams this year did. I think this is the first time in quite a while as well that all three newly promoted teams got to stay up. Yeah, so that's Fulham, Nottingham Forest, and who else had been promoted last year? Bournemouth. Bournemouth, right. Yeah, and I mean, both of those teams, well, most of those teams, Fulham and Bournemouth, um, and I guess even Nottingham Forest, they, they had to really grind it out towards the end to, to stay up, and they were able to face the music and, and do it, you know. Uh, Fulham had a strong start at the beginning of the season, then sort of trailed off with all of the injuries to Mitrovic and whatnot. Uh, that definitely hurt them, but I was uh, I was very impressed with the way that, that Bournemouth not necessarily closed out the last four weeks, but towards the end of the season, you know, right in that mid to late period, they got a couple of key results. Uh, same thing with Forrest. They were, they were really good down the stretch, but uh, congratulations to both of those teams for, for toughing it out, and they get another chance next year to prove that they belong. So uh, we have some, some crazy games to recap. Uh, we will start off with... Aston Villa to Brighton one. And before we go into this, what you guys have to consider is that all of these games were going on at the same time. So particularly Everton, Bournemouth, United or Leeds, Tottenham and Leicester, West Ham. Those were the games that really mattered. City had already clinched the title. We weren't worried about the top of the table really outside of maybe some qualification stuff. Um, with United and, and Newcastle, but yeah, I mean, like this game decided who finished in seventh it, for that last European spot, right? And that was that was uh, that was Villa, but um, it was crazy. I, I watched Leicester City versus West Ham, and then I checked back to my phone, and I uh, actually one of the kids I work with is a West Ham fan, which is strange. I know two West Whoa. Ham fans, which extremely bizarre. That's two um, more than I thought you'd find around here. I know. And I said to him, Sean, you guys, you're going to knock Everton out of the fucking league by losing to Leicester. You're going to let the those little rats stay up. And I looked at full time. It was 2-1, obviously. And I just assumed that Everton had lost because it was nil-nil. And then I I checked the score, and, and they won they fucking stayed up against like all odds. I have no idea how they did, but they got to win on the final day and they stayed up. It was nuts. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's, let's jump into Aston Villa two, Brighton one, Douglas Louise with a goal in the eighth minute, Ollie Watkins with another in the 26th Brighton played from behind and were able to strike with Dennis Undav in the 38th. He's had a 
pretty loud end of the season, to be honest. A lot of own goals, a lot of actual goals. He was up top alongside Evan Ferguson. And CISO McAllister and Buonanate lined up behind him with the same guys at the back as you would have expected. No Matoma, no Caicedo, no Estupignon. Uh, kind of a kind of a half-strength team. I was a bit shocked to, to not see Matoma and Caicedo start. Estupignon gets a little bit of rotation, but uh, they they seem to be at least confident in what they were be able, they could put out. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough. Watkins just been fantastic for Villa pretty much at every turn this year. Douglas Louise, fantastic from that midfield position right behind Ramsey and Leon Bailey. Uh, this Villa team just, again, very, very impressive uh, in the face of adversity, able to secure seventh place, uh, three wins or two wins in their last three. They're on, now on 61 points. They finished above Tottenham, above Chelsea, um, what a fantastic season for them. And, you know, going out with a whimper for Brighton, uh, but still, you know, what what an unreal season they had as well. Yeah, both of these teams definitely were up there for surprise team of the season, uh, both losing their managers early on for different reasons and both improving massively uh, as soon as those managers left to their, to their new ventures. And it was... Uh, it was something that not a lot of people saw coming. And for Villa to secure a seventh place position, getting Europe is going to help them a lot moving forward. They're going to have to bolster the squad a little bit more. They're one of the more shorthanded squads in the league, the least players being used. So having to play on Thursday nights now with short rest to Premier League games on the weekend is going to be a little difficult for them. But as long as they're injury-free, like they were this year for the majority of the part, and uh, can keep guys back. It'll be another successful successful season for them. Yeah. And, uh, and on Brighton's end, it's just one of those things where no matter what, they were going to finish sixth. They were happy with their performance against City, and then maybe this was a bit of a hangover after that, but it was uh, still a good showing for them. They didn't lie down and take a beating, and it was uh, something that they can be happy that's over with, and they can go celebrate on vacation with their, their uh, family, friends, and whoever else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, up next, Everton 1, Bournemouth 0. This was the one that I was talking about. Uh, the beginning of the game, I mean, Bournemouth just started absolutely electric, super hot, had a couple of chances, um, and they looked determined to at least take a point from this one. I think Bournemouth probably should have scored, uh, to be honest with you. Everton almost had to sub in somebody else for Pickford. Yeah, he got a yellow. Uh, very, very messy. I mean, they played with three at the back. Yeri Mina, who was the hero last week, um, was in there again. They had Garner and Dwight McNeil out on the left and right. Neither of those two guys are necessarily going to do a job for you tracking back, and they certainly didn't. Dukure and Adrissage in the center with Onana and Iwobi up towards that camp position. Damari Gray started up top for them. Uh, of course, no DCL. Guy is so, so fragile. It's insane. Bournemouth with Solanke, Otara, Christie, and Brooks up top, a threatening front three, four, really. Philip Billing dropping a little bit further back alongside Jefferson uh, Lerma in this one, but none of those guys were able to get on the score sheet. We saw Kiefer Moore and Jaden Anthony come on late, but again, uh, just two to nothing whatsoever. They weren't able to get anything done. And Everton in the 57th minute, an absolute belter from Abdoulaye Ducouré who we have sung praises uh, about for sure this season and last. 
complete screamer. I mean, just belted it. 57th. Uh, Everton able to avoid relegation uh, from the league. This is, I guess, next year will be their 70th consecutive season uh, in the top flight. Uh, the only team that has been in the top flight longer is Arsenal. That streak is ongoing with 98. Uh, well, next season will be 98. So congratulations to Everton. Good to see them stay up. I didn't want to see them go down. Um, and yeah, I mean, job well done, I guess. It wasn't Bournemouth wasn't going to give it a, give it easy for them. No, they did not as possible. It was not the prettiest game to watch. There was very few uh, connected play being made uh, in the build up for these teams, and it was just an absolute dogfight in the first half. There were multiple chances for Everton to score, but Travers, who had his spot initially taken over from from by Neto, who was out this game, definitely stepped up and showed why he was the starter at the beginning of the year. Main impact, Pickford, as you mentioned, got into some trouble early on. There was a bit of a, a collision on the goal line between yeah. him and Solanke. Solanke literally wouldn't let Pickford get up. He was just grabbing his leg, and there was a bit of a scuffle. Yuri Mina comes in. It almost looked like he bit Solanke's chest, but he was just, like, whispering something. I don't know. Yuri Mina is a weird cat. Yeah. Definitely would not want to get in a scuffle with him for any sort of reason. Um, but I mean, that guy was massive on time wasting. There was a moment where Pickford got the ball and was about to do his usual uh shit where he just falling down with the ball. But Yuri Mina mounted him like a like a horse and fell on top of him, and it was just it was wild to watch. So happy to see him stay up. Not happy that they're exactly where they were twelve months ago. Yep. In a very similar position, even last year, they went down 2-0 to Palace and had to come back and win 3-2. Fortunate for them, they had Richarlson and DCL playing in that game, and this one they didn't. They need to progress somehow. They need to somehow figure things out. Defenders. They need Having, defenders. Uh, I think it's more so in the attack. They need a more reliable striker. DCL's not turning out to be the answer after so long. Um, and I guess the other main thing is having a stable manager there for a while. They've had a lot of guys in and out, Ancelotti, Benitez, Frank Lampard. There's, there just hasn't been anybody consistently there for more than two to three years to set a system and knock things down. And for them to string a couple seasons together where they're not worried about relegation, it's more of building back up to where they used to be, a top 10 team, yep. even pushing for Europa League at times. We forget five, six years ago, they were up there for a while. Um, but with that, they had a recent a, st a steady manager. Roberto Martinez was there for a little while, and they had the likes of Lukaku there, who was only loaned in for a bit, but still did a great shift for them. So I think if they could find a solid number nine, like a lot of teams are looking for, and a stable manager to hold things down, which also a lot of teams are looking for, they can think they could stick things together. They locked down a few guys to long term contracts, so they're keeping leaders like Pickford, Tarkowski there. I think good building blocks and veterans like Iwobi and McNeil fill things out. They just need to figure out what they're going to do in the top end of the pitch. And maybe, like you mentioned, maybe in the midfield too, because some of those guys in the middle aren't the prettiest on the ball. Yeah. I think Onana, who they brought in this year from Lille, is definitely a step in the right direction. They couldn't utilize him to his full ability due to the circumstances they were in. So... It'll be interesting to see what Sean Dice can do with a full preseason with them. Yeah. And for Bournemouth, they're just proud that they got to stay up and proved 
99% of people this season that had them going down, including both of us, wrong. And uh, gives them more time to get secure, which it's not going to be easier with these new teams coming up with Burnley, who are under a new style with, with company, uh, yep. uh, uh, up and rising manager that a lot of people want to have on their books. And with a lot of top talent, you have Sheffield, who's a stubborn bastard, just like Burnley used to be and how Everton kind of is now. They won't go down and die. And then we have no idea what to expect from Luton Town. They might do what Forrest did and spend a lot of money, or they might uh, focus on other areas of the in the club. So there's a lot of things in jeopardy. A lot of things can happen, and they have to get over that, that second-year slump that most teams do um, manage to go through. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, on to the next. Uh, Tottenham 4, Leeds United 1. You want to start off with this one? Yeah, I think the first thing I'd mention is this was out of the three games. A lot of people, when I, when I say the three games, meaning the three teams that were up for yeah. allegation on the day, this was one that a lot of people favored Leeds. Yep. Even on the books, it was close to being even money. Tottenham was a slight favorite. And in my thought process, I was just like, this is a perfect Spursy game that everybody thinks Leeds is going to win and that. And it's like... They have the worst defense in the league, and they're going up against Harry Kane, who, after this game, scored a total of 30 goals. I mean, it was a formula for success for Tottenham. Yep. They had to do the bare minimum. Even when I saw the starting lineup for for Leeds, they played, They started six defenders in their lineup. And Adam Forshaw, who's not the the on the top of the list when you think of attacking players for Leeds, their only attacking players they had was Rodrigo and Jack Harrison in the starting lineup. Weston McKinney, when he was subbed off, was being heckled at by the Leeds fans. He was like, thanks a lot, you fat piece of shit. Yeah. Or fat bastard. Like, <laughs> yeah, I heard like, that. I said this last week, like Sam Allardyce, four games is not even close to enough time to do anything. And he yeah. tried his best. He earned a point against a new cat, or who did they get there? Against West Ham yeah. previous week, which was decent. But, I mean, it's just not enough time. And it started out it started out poorly. Harry Kane in the second, uh one nil at the half to Spurs, so not the worst situation, but um and the other two two games they were struggling. Leicester and Everton were both no nil at this point. Maybe Leicester was up one nil. Uh Pedro Poro doubles down forty seventh minute and then from there on it everybody just knew it was over. Uh Leeds pretty much just stopped. Harrison did get one back in the 67th. Harry Kane then killed the vibe in the 69th from from a Pedro Poro assist, and then a nice farewell gift for Lucas Mora in the 94th minute, assisted by Pape Sar, getting his last goal for the club. Um, he's very happy. He's proud to be a member of Tottenham for as long as he was, having a lot of memorable memorable moments for them, good sure. and bad. The, the most recent one was in the. Champions League semi-final. He scored, uh, I think, a hat trick against Ajax yep. to get through. Pre the ten ten hog team, um, a 90, 90th minute and it added time. Just absolute scenes there in in the Netherlands. It was incredible. But yeah, sad to see him go. He was a, definitely a guy in the past. FIFA's when he was growing up um, playing for PSG. And yeah. He was like their Neymar at the time. So um, he leaves for greener pastures not sure exactly where he's going to go but um good luck to him and for Leeds, it's back to back to the championship which out of the three teams i'm most worried for them yeah i um you know i was thinking obviously we this was a fantastic offensive performance from tottenham 
Um, but it just came down to the fact that leads are so poor all over the park. Some weeks I say it's their defense. Some weeks I say it's their offense. But truly, they, they were just poor in general all season for the most part. Uh, defensively, I mean, they let up a fuck ton of goals, but they also didn't score that many goals. I mean, I think their goals for were, what, 21? Or I'm sorry, not 21. Um, 48, their goals against were 78. So a minus 30 differential. Not many teams had a lower differential than that. I think two teams maybe were worse. Bournemouth with 34 and Southampton with 37. Uh, they just didn't get it done at, at basically any juncture this year. The team is was ripped apart. Um, they lost Calvin Phillips. That was a huge loss for them. It was gigantic. He doesn't even play. And I think a player like that, uh, especially when Tyler Adams gets hurt on top of it, like that would have brought so much more security into this team. And there just seems like there isn't any security whatsoever. They made a couple of signings. Wober, I don't think, was a terrible signing. I don't think Yonto or Rutter were awful signings either. Those guys all performed slightly when they were brought in, but there just wasn't enough time for anybody to make any sort of lasting impression on this team. Even Jesse Marsh wasn't given enough time to make a lasting impression, and he left with a sour taste in his mouth, and the fans obviously had a sour taste in their mouth. This was just a mismanaged, extremely poorly thought-out season by whoever runs the board at Leeds United. Personnel, coaching, players, just bad. All around terrible, and... I mean, they were playing one of the most mismanaged teams in the entire uh, league, Spurs, on this day. But Spurs have a bit more quality, even though, you know, things may be messy. They've still got Sun. They've still got Kane. They've still got guys like, I, I don't know, I think Basuma's all right. Kulisevsky, Richarlison, who's proven to do a job. They have to do some shoring up, too, defensively. But there's still quality. And when you look at Leeds, there just isn't. And that's why they're going down. And like Matt said, I'm not sure if we're going to see them up uh, anytime soon. Yeah, in the last three years, they've given up 78 goals last season, 79. And the season before, they gave up 54. But they finished ninth that season. And the only reason is because they scored 62 goals. So having all the confident attackers, that was the season. Patrick Bamford scored 17 goals. Um, he hasn't scored anywhere near those numbers since then. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a culture issue, a revolving door with the manager, consistently bringing new new style players in every window. Every two windows are bringing a different type in because of the new management in there, uh, whether it's an interim guy or a brand-new long-term one, if that's what they call them. So it's just going back to... Having confidence, like um, I bring up the point with Nottingham Forest this season, stick with your guy. Believe he's going to get you through the dark times. And um, if he doesn't, then you just fire him at the end of the season. And then you start afresh with yep. another guy for at least two seasons and just go from there because cutting a, uh, kicking a guy out the door mid-season is just really rolling the dice um, at a disadvantage because you're really hoping things work out with all the other teams around you maybe some in your area are doing the same but it's it's a game of chance and at this time it bit them in the hand and now they're gonna have to deal with the championship and how that works but 
with how uh, the Premier League works now, they get parachute payments. I think for the first two seasons, of, yeah. if they if they stay relegated, they get like thirty million dollars or forty million dollars each season. So they have somewhat of a budget to manage and maybe re-sign players to new types of deals, and they're going to have to cut the losses on some of them. So now sure. now it's a stressful time for them where. The players go on holiday, and then in a couple of weeks when they come back, they have to make a decision on what guys they're going to keep and what guys they're going to have to move on from. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the next. Brentford 1, Manchester City, your champions, nil. This one was deadlocked until the 85th minute when, surprisingly, Ethan Pinnock broke it. Um, really, actually, lovely play. Uh, free kick sent right down. Uh, the right side, Kevin Shade got the better of Gomez, whipped it right in from the byline, and Buemo nodded it. And then Pinnock made like a late run and just was able to drill it into the bottom corner. Uh, one nil to Brentford. Crazy game. A lot of chances between both sides. I mean, four shots on target for Brentford, three for City, but 17 shots for City and 11 shots total for Brentford. So. A uh, total of 28 shots in this one. Possession went City's way, as you probably would have expected. Uh, we didn't see Holland. We did see, or we didn't see KDB either. Uh, it was Foden, Cole Palmer, Alvarez, Gomez on the left, Mares on the right, Rico Lewis in there, Calvin Phillips in there. It's the young guys. You know, they started the... Uh, the second 11, third 11, which honestly is probably still good enough to be a top four team uh, against the Brentford side, who was pretty much full strength outside of Tony, who obviously is uh, banned and has a gambling addiction, by the way, now. If you say it's an addiction, then you get your ban uh, lessened. So just future reference. Important to note. Um, yeah, 1-0, three points to Brentford. City finish the uh, league on 89 points, so just one point shy of that 90 mark. And Brentford take ninth this year with four wins in their last five. Great season for them. The only team this season in the league to get uh, two wins against Man against City. Against City, yeah. Um, this is also the second lowest uh, amount of points City has earned in a season when they won the title. Uh, they've won the title twice before on 86 points. So, <laughs> so uh, even uh, jokingly, it's a it's an underwhelming year for them, if you will. Um, yeah, fair though. It's it drop, is true. Dropping points in 10 of their 38 games. This one obviously didn't mean anything. So you can kind of put an asterisk on it with their lineup. I mean, they and they only made one sub. He put brought a brought on a youngster to make his Premier League debut, but. Yeah, your most experienced guy out that guys are out there are Pedersen, Walker, Laporte, Mares, and and uh, Ake really. And then you got a lot of youngsters in there and guys new to the system and Palmer, Alvarez, Foden, Gomez, uh, and Lewis and Phillips. I mean, it was uh and watching the game back as you mentioned, I watched a couple games back last night. I'll probably watch a couple more tonight. Um, trying to jot down set pieces and stuff for the upcoming high school season. So try to build a playbook there. But Brentford was massive on set pieces. Yeah. A lot of things that written down for them. They're one of the best set piece teams in the year after the last 10 weeks. I've been writing stuff down. A lot of the stuff I have is from them. And it was a problem for City with their size, but they still dominated the ball. And uh, the only problem was they had no presence to get through or no 
no drive to get by because Brentford are so well disciplined and tight in the middle. I believe they're the most narrow defending team in the league. They're just so compact, and with that five in the back and three defenders, three midfielders in front of them, it's almost impossible to find any wiggle room to get by them. Um, so. Squeezing a 1-0 win for them is huge. It puts them in ninth, 59 points. They were they were one game away from finishing in Europe. So for Thomas Frank and the way that Brentford plays, it's an incredible year. It closes out, uh, closes the book on a good note. And with the three games that Ivan Tony missed, they won all three of them. So it was a it's a step in the right direction. It gives them hope going into next season. But thinking without Ivan Tony for the first six months of the year if they can uh or five uh if they can figure things out without him and we'll have to wait and see who their transfer targets are because a number nine might definitely be on the top of that list yeah uh okay bring us into the next manchester united two fulham one this was a very out of all the games for not really having any we're not having any major implications on the line the only one being if united finished third or fourth yep. it was a pretty entertaining game you saw for if you're a united fan you saw a lot of guys that you wanted to watch play in rashri casimir you saw garnacho get a start obviously after the unfortunate anthony injury oh yeah the only thing i saw about this game was he died is, is he all right uh that was the last game he messed up his ankle oh, yeah. in the uh previous game when they beat uh chelsea uh, oh, yeah. he he got his ankle rolled up on by Chaloba. Uh, so yeah, I think he re injured the same ankle he had issues with earlier in the year. So he might be having some issues in the summer. But they're in de- they have depth in those positions with with Garnacho and Sancho and Palestri can do a shift out there. You could shift uh, Rashford. So there's a lot of versatility in this team, which Ten Hag likes. Um, start off good though for for Fulham. They were pretty. They were got a good grasp on the first ten to twenty minutes of the game. Uh, Mitrovic was a big presence that Maguire and Lindelof had to watch. Uh, Kenny Tete though off a corner kick from William in the nineteenth. Uh, from there we saw a penalty in the twenty-sixth minute. Casemiro cleanly took out Tom Kearney in the box. Mitrovic steps up to make it two nil, and for Fulham to be in big control, surprisingly at Old Trafford, which. I think United have like a 20 or 30 game streak of being unbeaten at home. So De Gea stepped up though and stopped Mitrovic. That is Mitrovic's fourth missed penalty on the season. So that's some serious issues for them moving forward, deciding if he needs to keep taking them or not. And that gave United life. De Gea is not the best uh, penalty uh, goalkeeper. And then Jaden Sancho in the 39th got an equalizer before the half. 55th minute, Bruno doubled the lead from a Fred assist. Fred played pretty well in this game, both offensively and defensively. Uh, uh, Threading the needle there through some balls, especially the Fernandez one cut through the midfield end of the defense with one ball. Uh, Fulham made their changes, tried to change things up. And United matched with similar guys. You saw Martial, Erickson, and McTominay come in, uh, resting guys for that uh, FA Cup game coming up against Man City, which is massive for them. Uh, and then from there on out, things kind of went back and forth, nothing really major. And United closed out on a win, securing third place, which is a very successful season in itself. You had a League Cup and potentially an FA Cup over your rivals in Man City. I think that is a that would be an A-plus season for Ten Hag. Yeah, 
I mean, I obviously, as you can tell, I didn't watch much of this one. Um, I, I was obviously thrilled with the Anthony injury. I'm not a fan of Anthony at all. Uh, despise him. No, that was the week before. But what I did see in the aftermath of this one was that some pundits were were calling Jaden Sancho uh, top class. I mean, are we doing that again? How was he? Was he all right in this game? I don't think there was anything major asked of him. I think Fulham. Never is. I think Fulham have played the same way since they've secured safety in that mid table area. They've never let off let up on teams and he had he was handling his own going against anthony robinson anthony robinson was caught slipping too uh sancho kind of broke his ankles uh mainly due to the turf a lot of people were slipping but he was involved in the build to play a lot set a got set a few guys up for some good chances and managed to bag himself a goal the goal was a little bit fortunate for him. Fred was going to play him in, but took two deflections and went in his, his way, and he, it was a little tapping. So uh, you, you finish what you're given. But, yeah, the last couple games he's been filling in well. I think with an injury to Anthony, it helps his chances significantly to get more playing time. And now with guys like Veghorst leaving and um, Garnacho not probably at that starter level yet. He's in a prime position to carry on in that starting role for them. So I think like you mentioned, it's one you can't really praise him for a one game one game, one two games really. Because if we did that, we'd just be saying you're as good as your last game and I mean Holland hasn't been scoring in the last couple, so that doesn't make him a bum. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see if he's uh can stay a full season because there was that period where you mentioned he had to go back to the Netherlands and uh, have yeah. to retrain himself. So maybe he's still getting used to that Manchester United hype like we saw last year with Jack Grealish not getting off on the right foot. So maybe he's going through he's going through something similar to that and having another year with a very sophisticated and competent manager in Ten Hag. I think we could see even more, more uh, greatness out of Sancho and maybe get closer to what they paid for in his price tag. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on to the next one. Chelsea won, Newcastle won. Uh, Winter signing Anthony Gordon, getting the scoring off, uh, getting the scoring started in the ninth minute. Just a bit later, Kieran Trippi scored an own goal. That was Chelsea's lone uh, goal scored in this one. Really kind of a, a strange game. Uh, Newcastle did what I asked of them, and, and Eddie Howe put Isak up top and then St. Max out on the left. This is what we need to see. Gordon, I thought, was playing a bit too far back. I mean, he obviously got a goal from that position. He can play uh, a bit further back, but I, I would much rather see Anthony Gordon either playing attacking mid or playing winger. Uh, I just think that they're hiding him back there, and he doesn't get a ton of time, and when he does, he's not where he needs to be. He needs to be way more involved in the attack, and I think Almiron is one of those guys that is just probably not wrong for Newcastle, or long for Newcastle at this point. Uh, they've got guys that have way outperformed him this year. Murphy, I think Gordon is better. St. Max is obviously better. Uh, that's all besides the point. They were able to get a point in this one. Uh, Chelsea with Keppa in goal, Chaloba and Silva in front of him, Hall and Aspi. Again, this has got to be it for Aspi, I would imagine, but who knows? He seems to always come back from the dead. 
Uh, Enzo and RLC above them with Noni Madueke, who's been getting regular time now alongside Connor Gallagher and Raheem Sterling, all topped off with Kai Havertz, who we haven't been seeing all that much of. So I don't think Chelsea will be upset with a point uh, against Newcastle, especially considering this is basically just an exhibition. Uh, Newcastle had all but secured their Champions League spot uh, for next season. So not a big deal for them, not a big deal for Chelsea, not much to be won here, but a draw on the last day of the season against the top four team. Considering all the things that happened to Chelsea this year, not bad. Yeah, um, surprised we got the draw. Mm-hmm. There were opportunities for us to get the win, but um, with the fact the way that uh, the goal went in for us, it was pretty uh, spot on for how the year's been and how sure. we get our chances across the line. That own goal was hilarious. Yep. And uh, yeah, you mentioned Anthony Gordon. I think he can't really. You mentioned he's not in his right position. I think that's just due to him being young and coming into the season halfway through from Everton, who had been struggling heavily, and he was a massive part in their team there. And now coming to a team with not as much pressure and not as much pressure on his shoulders, and he can kind of be in more of a reserved, understudy type of role. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. I think this summer now Newcastle has been has said – um, from the execs and the higher-ups that they're definitely going to be getting the wallets out now. They're going to be bringing in more top-tier talent, and that's only going to hinder Gordon's playing time uh, on come game days, but maybe it helps him in the training ground, bring in top-tier talent across Europe to educate him and just be around good players that might push him to that next level. That happens a lot. If you're around top-quality talent, you're going to learn a thing or two that helps your game. It can't hurt. And... Um, yeah, Newcastle with the the team they put out was heavily rotated and targeted in there. Dubravka, we I mentioned last week with Zach. Nick Pope had that hand surgery. Yep. Uh, Joel Ellington also not playing. Joe Willock being injured. And um, Shawnee, Lo- Shawnee Longstaff as well not being in there. So tough there. But uh, we saw a few goodbyes from the Chelsea end. There was a, a massive applause for Loftus-Cheek. There was a, you could just tell... The way yep. he left the pitch, he knew he was leaving uh, come the end of the season. Um, Aspi, I think he's done. Uh, Matueke is turning into a pretty stable guy in this team. I like him. Um, he has, he literally will never use his right foot. He was in on goal. He was played in by Sterling, had a clear opportunity to shoot on his right and did not, tried to cut to his left and was instantly double teamed. And it was very upsetting i mean how do you i still don't understand how you have that much talent and you can play in the top end of in europe in the premier league and you have no no weak foot i don't uh, understand uh, arian robin is one of the greatest players i've ever seen and he didn't have one either some guys can make it work yeah well i guess that just comes through experience and playing sure. year after year and finding a way to manipulate the opposition into your favor and play to your strengths and He's still only 20, 21 years old, yeah, I young. believe. And I don't think he's a, I don't think he should be a regular starter in this team. I think he'd be a great guy off the bench and maybe a cup guy, but with the state of the team now, I guess getting him time there is good and I would love to see Mudrik in a similar role, but he's had so much pressure on him this year for the double the price <laughs> medal when pay was brought in and he gets so much shit that he just needs a summer off and to 
to just work with Potch and to get things through and to have a full summer with the team and with a concentrated group of guys that he can just move on. And we'll get into it in the future. I still have that list. I've adjusted it a couple of times with my keep cells. Um, I've crossed off a lot of people. I think I've changed three or four guys on each side, but for the continuity, the majority of the people I'm pretty stayed the same about, but yeah, I mean, a lot of injuries. We Batty Shields out for four months. He had a training injury, groin injury, so now he's going to have some minor surgery. And he'll miss pretty much all preseason. So that's a massive blow there. We're having guys come back. We have to deal with the Lukaku situation. And I'm just glad we don't have to focus on that as much now in the next coming weeks. We can kind of just dial things back and go on our own little vacation. Yeah. All right. Um, up next, this one's you, Leicester City 2, West Ham 1. Leicester got the job done, 2-1 win, but it was all for naught due to Everton. We mentioned they got their win, so Leicester City are the other team that joined Leeds and Southampton to go down. On the day, it looked positive, great atmosphere at Leicester. Got a 1-0 lead off Harvey Barnes, 34th minute. Doubled the lead in the 62nd from Vout Face off of Tillemont's corner. Um, and then your boy Pablo Fornells gets put in by yeah. Danny Ings and bags himself a little goal in the 79th minute. He's getting married this summer, I heard. It's a nice little wedding gift. Congrats, Pablo. Yeah, so um, they end the year on 14th on that 40-point mark. They still have one more game in the Europa Conference League final. Tough opposition, though. They're playing Fiorentina. Yeah. So all the best to them. If they win that, they'll get some silverware. Um and if at the start of the season you had, you said they they stay in the prem and they win a European trophy, they would be completely happy with that. So good luck to them. I think that game's not this maybe this weekend coming up or midweek next week. I don't know. It's within the next two weeks. Yeah. So, but for Leicester, it's sad to see them go down. I think they said on the t- television broadcast this is only the second team ever that has won a Premier League that has been relegated. So. The the story ends for them, the, the fairy tale in Leicester City with Jamie Vardy. Not sure what his future holds, if he stays there an additional season to try to get them back up instantly. Would be incredible to see. Maybe that's how he ends his Leicester career. That would he, be fire. He gets them promoted back up instantly. Um, but, yeah, another another tough situation where you fire your manager maybe a little too late. And you bring in a guy who doesn't have the biggest personality or the most ideal tactics to figure things out. Um, and Dean Smith, he did manage a point against Newcastle last week that we both talked about, which was positive, but they had to rely on other things happening for them, and they did what they could in their power, and the Everett Bournemouth couldn't get anything done for them. So, unfortunately, we're going to see them picked apart. We have to see where James Madison goes. I think he's favorited to go to Newcastle or Arsenal. Um, I think those two and United are like the top three. Um, After that, I don't know where else he'd go. I think the fourth or fifth best odds are that he stays, which I don't see that happening. Uh, That'd be a waste. It'd be a waste of extremely good talent, in my opinion. He is a a very talented attacking midfielder. You can play him on the wing if you have to. Um, 
you could probably play striker to be honest for half of these shit teams but uh i i think madison is is due for a nice move uh, and he could certainly within the next five seasons be a key part i think of a uh premier league title winner like no question in my mind yeah, there might be an uh, there might be an opening in that city team in the near future too, depending on what De Bruyne's future looks like. Yeah, that, I mean KDB is not what is he? Is he thirty something? Yeah, yeah. So he's not young. I mean, he's still in his prime. Guys like him can drop further deeper. We've seen, we've seen Cruz, we've seen Modric. Like those guys can play in pretty much any midfield position, and that's where KDB is, like level wise. Um, he's a more dynamic player than Ozil ever was in terms of his attacking midfield play. We know he can drop further back. Uh, I think KDB could, he could play well into his forties if, and effectively if he's willing to do that. Uh, but I don't think we'd see him stay at city for, you know, maybe one more contract and I don't think it will be a long one, you know? Uh, Okay. Uh, yeah, let's move on. Arsenal two or Arsenal five. Sorry, Wolves nil. Uh, this one I had to go back and, and rewatch all the goals. All I saw was that Jaka had scored twice in like three minutes, <laughs> and I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" So I went back and watched. Um, what a masterclass in his his final game in an Arsenal shirt. It's looking like he'll be off to uh, Bayern Leverkusen. Yeah. Um, two goals and an assist, I believe, in this one. So. An unreal day for him. One in the 11th, one in the 14th. Saka on the score sheet. Jesus, Jakub Kivior, who we brought in in the winter and has now scored uh, his first Premier League goal for the club. A great performance on the day, honestly, from Arsenal. Eight shots on target, 51% possession. Defended really well. Ramsdale looked okay uh, when he was called upon, which was actually never. Um, He was just running around back there, which is what he always does. Ben White, Gabriel did a good enough job. We actually had Parse playing right back, which was interesting. Do what Brighton does with Gross and Caicedo at times. Yeah, which, like, honestly, I didn't hate it. I mean, Kivior was playing left back as well. We saw Tierney come on. We saw Smith Rowe come on. Vieira got some time. Nelson and Ketia. Uh, all of the heroes from earlier on this season, especially in Ketia and, and uh, Reese Nelson. But. Yeah, great game. Uh, super entertaining watch, honestly. It was nice to close the season out with a route. This is the Arsenal that I want to remember from this season, not the team that dropped all those points in the uh, the draw period, which is what I'm calling it when we bottled the league. Uh, and then for Wolves, I mean, you know, not much really to play for in this one. Uh, it's not certain that Lopetegui is going to stay next year, apparently. I'm yeah. seeing things that maybe he's looking forward to a different project. I, I don't know. I mean, that seems kind of crazy to me. Um, he came in and turned around the whole thing. I think those players bought in. They aren't necessarily fantastic in terms of caliber, but I I figured nobody else would really be knocking. But, like, I don't know. Maybe somebody is. Maybe I can see him going to Spurs. Like, I could see him being a good fit at Spurs. It'd be no different because they they're not an upgrade at this point. No European ball. Um, uh, that's and, fair. Yeah, that's true. Depending on Harry Kane's future, but for this Wolves team, this was a very sad performance. Yeah, it was I mean, bad. It was bad. 
Everybody was going through the motions, and when Arsenal was pinging the ball around, you could see minimal urgency and press by the Wolves players. It was really sad, especially how the way they started the game with Xhaka absolutely dominating them, filling in those pockets like De Bruyne, just tapping Gundogan, tapping things in easily. But Wolves' problem is just like a lot of other teams, they're scoring. Daniel Potence and Ruben Neves were their top scorers with six goals this year. And one of them's leaving. Yeah, and Neves definitely wants to leave. I think he his ideal place he wants to go is Barcelona, but yep. I don't know if Xavi wants to bring in a player like him, depending on what their outgoings are. If they have a, I, it pisses me off how they're linked with so many people after they've sold like half their TV rights and shit. I don't know how they can do this, but that's beside the point. And I don't blame Luke Bategi for wanting to go somewhere else. They finished the season with a negative 27 goal differential, which was bottom five. Only scored 31 goals, the least in the league, even less than Everton with 34. So they they got things done early that midseason when, when Luke Bategi came in after the World Cup. He did just enough to bag enough wins and points to keep them out of danger. Only seven points above relegation with... They had three losses in their last five games, only one win in their last five, a uh, big win over Villa. But it's a it's under it's an underwhelming team. With honestly, every week when we recap games, it's like one of the least interested games I yep. look into when we talk about because you you talk about superstars in the Premier League and how every team you really have there's like two or three guys you recognize easily and that you like watching it. This Wolves team, I don't have one. No. Nobody, I look in this team and I'm like, yeah. It used to be Jota. Yeah, it was Jota and he got, pl- he got plucked instantly uh, for good reasons. And nobody else in this team has risen to that level where other teams are like, ooh, we definitely need to go to Wolves and try to get this guy. I mean, Neves was like that when they got promoted, but now he's kind of eh. plateaued out and he's looking for a new challenge. Maybe that's to to him maybe like not seeing a future with this team they're not going anywhere they finish mid-table all the time their best was two seasons in the top eight and now it's dropped off in the last two to three years with uh after nuno nuno esperito sanchez left or santos yep um and jimenez not being where he used to be obviously we keep mentioning it after every year his head getting cracked by david luis <laughs> yeah so it's it's tough that that squad is not very inviting to any new manager to want to come and work with them, and there's a lot of things you need to you need to change in that team. So yeah, and I, I with Arsenal, they're like every time it comes to the end of the season, this they, is what they, they absolutely do. obliterate teams. Second, and, uh, last year they beat Everton five one. In the previous year, it said was Zach they beat Brighton two nil. So they're definitely a team you don't want to play week 38 and uh especially with nothing really on the line but it ends a great year for arsenal second place push city um unfortunately didn't win any other trophies but we'll come back with champions league to play for and it's something that definitely all those players are going to be proud of to to go into next season holding their heads high and need to now play at that level again it's going to be great to be able to tune in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays to watch them. I'm so so excited that they are back in the Champions League. You get, um, to, you get to be excited for the group draw now. I know. It's going to be sick. 
okay, Southampton four, Liverpool four. This one's you, and boy, what a belter! The most least, probably <laughs> one of the least talked about games. It didn't matter for anything. It was incredible as a neutral. Um, we saw a lot of different things happen here. Uh, it started off in the tenth minute from Jota scoring, and then the fourteenth for Bobby Firmino. Two nil in the first fifteen minutes. Liverpool, you thought. 7-0 inbound. Uh, Southampton have nothing to play for. And then all of a sudden, they turn things up a bit. Ward-Prowse in the 19th. Yep. And then Suleimane, man of the match, in the 28th from Walcott. And then in the 48th from Lianco, my man was doing somersaults all day. The one he picked up right around midfield on his own half, dribbled the whole length. No Liverpool player dare step to him, and he slotted it in the corner. Kelleher kind of had a stinker here. I was surprised that you had no Van Dyke and no Allison in this team, which you could tell how important they are in this team. Without them, there was a massive hole. Um, then Klopp made a lot of his changes. Gakpo, Henderson, Elliott, Diaz all come in. Didn't make a difference instantly. Adam Armstrong gets a goal in the 64th minute off poor passing out of the back. Uh, and then Liverpool had to fight back, Gakpo in the 72nd, and then Jota in the 73rd. And then you thought Liverpool was going to get a winner, but things fizzled out, and uh, Southamp- Southampton held on to secure a massive point against Liverpool and go into the championship with their heads, <laughs> heads held, held high, high. I guess. <laughs> yeah. they, I know. They end, they end a five-game losing streak to end the year with a point, but their last win... I have to check. They haven't won in months. I think their last win was against... uh, They beat Leicester March 4th. That was the last time they won a game. So listen to this. This was the first time Southampton scored four goals in a Premier League match at St. Mary's home for the first time since January 2022. That's 18 months ago. That yep. was the last time they scored four goals at home, and it was 4-1 versus Brentford. They hadn't scored a single goal across their last three home matches prior to yesterday. That is just such a terrible way to end your season. And then you come out, and you absolutely bust down on Liverpool four goals, dude. Like, where was this shit? Where was Suleimana this whole fucking time? It was Alcaraz for a minute. Walcott had a couple good weeks. Um, they probably... Like, I don't like Southampton. I'm glad they're going down. Like We needed a reset on Southampton for sure. A hard reset. But there was probably enough in this team to keep them up. Don't you think? Like I in think hindsight, there probably was. I definitely think there are moments where they could have grabbed at least one or two points from a couple times and could have been in the conversation to be a deadline or a championship Sunday, like win and you're in type of deal. I don't know if they had enough to be where Bournemouth and Forest are to earn maybe an additional 12 points, but I think this was the first time we saw Suleimane play as the number nine. Yeah. Most of the time he's been playing in a front two or out wide. And with his pace to get in behind. Demon. Yeah, it was massive with Alcaraz in behind, Ward Prowse and Lavia, deep, deep line playmakers. It was, it was definitely a a play built for success, but, and with Walcott, his experience in there, he definitely, he's definitely been stepping up over the last few months, but 
at the same time, you could see their flaws. The one goal uh, to Jota, or from yeah, from Jota in the tenth, like Southampton's building out of the back in their own box against Liverpool, who are like one of the most pressing teams in Europe, and Lavia plays Jota in for a tap in on an open goal, like. They're definitely super inexperienced, and that's why they, they went down, because they're inconsistent in their attack and their lineup choice, but they're consistent in their defensive mistakes, which ultimately cost them. They gave up 73 goals, only scoring 36, and having more than a negative 30 goal differential nine times out of ten is going to get you relegated, unless there's teams worse than that. But yeah, the man, it always goes back to, for me to the manager changes, like they weren't confident in Hasenhutl at the start of the year. I should have kept um, him though. because they they were under new ownership. So what do they do? They get rid of all of his backroom staff, but keep him. Yep. They keep him and they give him all new coaches that he's never worked with. And then a few weeks later, they get rid of him, which makes no sense. It was at a time where they were they had winnable games, but they didn't get rid of him quick enough. They bring in Nathan Jones, who I think everybody can agree on was the worst. Yeah. The second worst manager signing of the season behind Frank Lampard. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, that was short-lived. And then Ruben Sellas, another guy, inexperienced, nothing nothing up there. I mean, they, they had the moment to bring in Sean Dyche. All, like, all, five, six of these teams in this area had the opportunity to get rid of their guy and get Sean Dyche. And nobody did it quick enough, and Everton were the ones to do it. I think Leicester, Leeds, and Southampton all had their moments. Bournemouth as well. Uh, Forrest stuck it out. So, as well as West Ham, they decided to keep Moyes. It will be interesting to see if they keep him or, or get rid of him this summer. Might depend on what they do in that European final, but yeah, reg- regardless of that, it's it's just poor ownership decision making and. Uh, and by the G the general the directors of football and their ownership group to make coherent decisions and to bring in people that know what they're doing. So they made their decisions. It didn't work out. They have to pay the price now. And hopefully for their sakes they can bounce right back up. But the championship is only getting tougher and tougher with the the growing growing youth developments in some of these clubs teams and teams are cultivating young talent better and better. And their analytic departments are getting stronger, and then team just clubs are getting smarter. So, you need to use your your money wisely. You need to have the right people appointed to see the talent coming up, and we're seeing that with clubs like Brentford and Brighton. They're the new generations of Southampton in the past, and how Wolves originally came up. So, these things go in cycles, like everything does in life. And eventually they'll come back and hopefully they've learned from their mistakes and they can stay up for maybe another decade. Yeah. Um, what I will say quick before we get into the last game and then give you our awards quick was Southampton took eight points from our clubs. They did not lose a single game to Arsenal or Chelsea. They yeah. beat Chelsea twice and they drew Arsenal twice. And they finished dead last. What the fuck? It just came. It came. They did well. They they took points off a lot of the big teams. They beat City, yeah, in the in the League Cup, which stopped them from earning a quadruple under Nathan Jones. So it didn't it didn't end their season against the big teams. It was they didn't beat the teams they needed to. Yeah, and that's a recipe for disaster in this league for sure. Uh, okay, last one. 
Palace one, Forest one, Tywo, just just capping it off. A goal in the thirty first. Will Hughes unlikely uh, to score, but was able to do it in the sixty sixth. He's been uh, right in the center of the park alongside Jake Ducore. Eze and I, you were up top with Edward. Uh, no Zaha, he's obviously been out. Awaniyi on the other side, up top by himself. Brennan Johnson and Gibbs White behind him. That's an interesting front three. I think next year, if they can get all of those guys firing on on all cylinders, um, Forrest could be could be dangerous for sure. They've, they've found their man, I think, in, in Taiwo. Like, no question about it. Uh, Emmanuel Dennis, not the guy. Uh, Johnson, not the guy up top. Gibbs White, good where he is, like perfect. Um, really curious to see how, how they are next year. Great end of the season. Same thing for Palace. Just really solid down the stretch, I'll say. Um, they weren't ever in any danger, I guess. We considered that maybe they were, but pretty much as soon as we said they were in potential relegation zone, they turned it up and they were able to get it done. Uh, the firing of Vieira is still the the thing that sticks out for most uh, for most people this season. Maybe not what anybody expected, but it seems like once they got Hodgson in, the guys really rallied. I mean, they finished 11th. They had a great end of the season. They were seven points away from Fulham in 10th, but were very, very sound down the stretch. And Nottingham Forest, you know, nothing pretty. Just just not a pretty team this year. But again, just like Palace, really solid down the stretch. These teams both took, I believe, eight points in their last five games. So not a bad conversion rate there. Uh, and this is exactly what you can expect from this game, a draw. You know, it's, it, it ended exactly how most people figured it would. Yeah, this was one of the games I, was, I haven't gotten to yet, so I can't really give you guys much nothing special. detail on it. But yeah, there was nothing special, nothing on the line. Um, mainly for Palace, they finished best of the rest. They finished 11th there. Finished above Chelsea, so they, they finished over two London clubs there. So it was it's an improvement. It'll be interesting to see um, what they do for their management. Um, maybe they take their time this summer and really think about who they're going to go for. And uh, maybe they ride the first few weeks with Roy Hodgson, vetting out who the, the successor is going to be. I think Roy Hodgson's in a positive place where he doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. He knows who he is. He has the respect of the players. He's still out there in the trainings with the play with the team. Still grinding. So, 74. Yeah. yeah great guy has the same staff with him and uh i don't think that can be i don't think it would be awful if they kept him for next year um depending on how they start depending on if they keep zaha and who they go to bolster the team going forward uh, it's looking like maybe they need to maybe find a better partner for Ducore in the center of the park maybe somebody that can push forward a little bit better uh maybe they get a guy like yuri tillimans to play next to him We've seen him be successful in the past. I don't know if he'd go to a club like Leicester. Maybe he sees himself uh, for a bigger team. But somebody that somebody that's more of a number eight in there next to Ducore, who's more of a six and can link up, play better for those attackers. So uh, it's great things for me, in my mind, for Palace going forward and for Forrest. Maybe this might be a big summer where they sell a lot of the people they initially brought in. We know Jesse Lingard was only on a one-year deal, so I'm I'm 99% sure or confident that they're not going to re-sign him. Yeah. There's probably a couple other guys that were on short-term deals that they're going to look to move on from to 
to lighten up the wage bill to bring in maybe a few more role players or one or two new key starters. They have to figure out their goalkeeper because Dean Henderson was on loan from United, and I don't know if they brought in Kaylor Navas on a loan. I think it was a short-term loan from PSG, so yeah. maybe if they can make one of those two permanent because you don't want Wayne Hennessy as your starter. Uh, but they figured out who their main guys are. Steve Cooper, they've locked him down. They're confident they can keep him again. It's going to be hard for them to get out of this bottom five area, in my opinion, next season. Um, but we saw this year, I, I think I had them finishing 17th. You had them finishing 18th. So it'll be interesting to see if they can improve on those predictions in a lot of people's minds. But they've definitely found out uh, who their guys are. And it seems like Gibbs White was their player of the season. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, that is all. That's a wrap on our final recapped games. Uh, Matt and I are going to run down our awards for you this year. Um, I think we've got like five or six different um, things to go over quick, and then we'll uh, we'll leave you. But our Player of the Year award is up first. Matt, who's your Player of the Year? Uh, I didn't have too much time to think about this, but it's not hard to figure out who the winner is. I was just trying to think of who would compete with him for this reward, uh, award. And um, the only person I had was Casemiro for what he meant to their team. Yeah. I, th- I thought he was a valiant, honorable mention here, but uh, Erling Holland has to be the player of the year. Um, brought Man City to the next level, earned or broke the broke almost every single record that was possible. Um has already scored over 50 goals for Man City in one season. So he's on track for great things. I think we're definitely in the near future, whether in speaking in two to three years, there's going to come a point where he's going to pick up a major injury. Yeah, it will happen. It and always we're going to see how this Man City team reacts. But Julian Alvarez is a great Robin to his Batman we've seen. And... um we know they can get things done three, two, two to three different ways to get a win for Man City. So um, Erling Holland easily walks with this award. Yeah, for me, I actually didn't pick Holland. Um, I think, I think everybody would tell you it's Holland. I, I think, like, I wouldn't argue with it. Obviously, he had an unbelievable season. Broke the single, single season goal scoring record took it from Alan Shearer who's one of the greatest Premier League strikers of all time if not the greatest uh not my greatest but uh I gave it to Kane I gave it to Harry Kane despite all of the nonsense that happened at Spurs this year and trust me there was a lot Harry Kane was still able to register 30 goals in the Prem 30 goals and three assists with the team and service that he was having to deal with is fucking crazy it's really really good He's not young. He's really only gotten better with age. And for me, considering all of the outside things that he had to deal with, not really having a manager that he trusted, not really having players that he trusted, especially defensively, still going out there and performing every game, I, I kind of give it to, to Sir Harold Kane. He uh, he was my player of the year. Yeah, and he's con- he's contributed 43%. Yeah, it's the, insane. Goals. Erling Holland, 38% of Man City's. Which is insane as well, we should say, but... By far, it's uh, Kane, 43%, 
Holland 38, and then Ivan Tony 34% of Brentford's goals. So, and yeah. everybody else is very far away from that. Right. But yeah, I think Harry Kane's definitely up there. That's somebody that slipped my mind. That's hard, but he turns 30 this summer with yep. one year left on his deal. Tottenham's in a very, 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 very important time when it comes to decision making and who's the next guy at the helm to take the job. They've already been turned down by their top six guys. <laughs> yeah. The most recent one is the Feyenoord manager who has re-signed with Feyenoord. So if you can't get the Feyenoord coach to come and take your job, I don't know who's going to take it. They, they, I know this isn't going to happen, but they might have to give Brian Mason the job to the start of the year. I think it was going to be Potter, but yeah. I don't know how that would go. That would be crazy that Tottenham and Chelsea just keep flopping swapping <laughs> historically tottenham always get one of the chelsea ex-bosses this is i think this is the first time that chelsea has gotten a tottenham manager yeah i don't know we'll see um okay young player of the year that i mean mine's holland but who's yours yeah holland yeah yeah young young player we the the the, the requirement is 23 or younger and for me it's bakaya saka Oh, so kind uh, of you. No, it's not. I'm not butter. I'm <laughs> not know. buttering you up. <laughs> My second place was Saliba. Yeah. Obviously, Holland can win this one too, but I, I think he can only win one. But yeah, Saka for what he did for this year, he led the team. Or I don't know if he led the team, but he was a top contributor this year with 14 goals. It was Martinelli uh, actually. Odegaard and Martinelli both had 15. Yep. Saka had 14. Martinelli could be up here too, but this was Martinelli's first big season for them. Saka's been doing it for the last two or three. Yep. Um, for only being 21 years old, he's experienced so much negative uh, media attention after the Euros with his performance in the shootout, um, as well as this title race, not being able to perform consistently. But for being only 21 and leading your team and as a top goal scorer and top uh, assister, I think he had 11 assists as well. So... He's he's a massive part of this team. He's a staple of the team going forward. He's most likely going to be a future captain for them. Yep. Obviously, Odegaard's their guy, but yeah, he's definitely the winner for me by far. And then uh, Saliba would be second, um, looking for that long, long-awaited, strong center back tab back there. The closest thing in the past being maybe Klashoni. Mm -hmm. Um And now seeing how important the loss was of him in the tail end of the year when you needed him most, I think that only adds to his resume with how important he is to this team going forward. And it'll be good to see him back in the fall. And probably with a, I don't know if they're going to keep Gabriel next to him. He definitely maybe earned another season back there, but sloppy. You might need to figure something out. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it to Holland. I mean, we've already gone over why. Um, I had to give him something. I wasn't gonna wasn't gonna shun the guy, uh, but I think Saliba and Saka both uh, are good shouts. Saliba for sure. Like once we lost him, uh, you saw like how things sort of fell apart at the back for Arsenal. Playing out of the back just wasn't the same, and Saliba was absolutely immense this year. So I think that's that's a great shout. He'd be on my short list as well. Uh, and then manager of the year. Um, this one I'm curious to see who you have. This was the hardest award to give because I think there's seven guys up for this. Yep. Um, the front runner obviously is Pep. 
it's almost impossible not to give it to the guy that wins the league and for him to do it in not their signature fashion, but to do it with a a new number nine who a lot of people thought, how are you going to work him in your system? And for them to turn out the way they did just adds to the lore of Pep and to his success and genius as a manager. And um, I think I'd have to give it to him. It's I'm not I'm just not fully confident because my honorable second would have to be Deserby because for a guy to come into a situation highly unknown from the Serie A, having massive success with a team as such as Sassuolo, no disrespect, but not a conventional team you think of in the Serie A, and to come into a club that has been doing very, very well under Graham Potter with massive youth uh, talent in your squad and to take it to that next level, even when they were doing the best they've ever done, is something special. And to get guys that were sig- cons- uh, consistently missing good opportunities to now making them absolute locks to put these chances away and to increase your goal totals for uh, by 15 to 20 goals. It's something you can't really forget, but I think I have to go with Pep. I also have Arteta for the title race they had and for leading the league 240 days, Ten Hag. Uh, a lot of people have Man United out of their top four. Eddie Howe, obviously with Newcastle and then uh honorable mention to Steve Cooper uh, for all season being told you're going to be kicked out and fired and to keeping your club up is something that's commemorable and uh, still has to be the ugliest manager in the league. I'm sorry, Steve. Yeah, unlucky, Steve. Maybe maybe you'll figure it out. But I, I It's more I, important that you're good at your job, not how you look. Yeah, I don't have faith in that. Uh, for me, it, it's going to be uh, Roberto De Zerbi. I mean, I think what he was able to do, inheriting a squad after Potter left them, what I thought high and dry uh, was nothing short of Big mi- miraculous. I mean, yeah, of course, as very well deserved. But Roberto De Zerbi did something with that Brighton team that I, I just didn't think anybody could do. Not only did he act as a fantastic interim manager, he straight up inherited the team and made it his own. He was insanely good at managing those players and they were able to secure a sixth place finish for a team like Brighton. That is nothing to scoff at. I mean, they were really, really good this season. They probably, they could have finished fifth in my opinion. There was a couple of results that went the other way for them, but um, they were just insanely good. And you have to give all that credit to Deserby. I mean, sure. um, The, the personnel, the, the players that they have, they're, they have so many young, talented guys, but it's Deserby's system. Um, it's kind of a build-off from what Potter did, but uh, he's making the decisions, and I feel like he very rarely made the wrong decisions in running that side. So I, I got to give it to him. I, I'd love to give it to Mikel. I'd love to give it to Pep, but you expect it from Pep is the one thing, and then from Mikel, that last six weeks, that that throws it off a bit, don't you think? I was telling Zach last week that if you flip Arsenal season and you have a similar year to the previous where they had a rough start and then started building and building and ended the year great, I think you'd be 
having a different take and a different perspective on things. Correct. Being more high on thinking, oh, we're definitely going to push City next year. Yeah. But to end the year, yeah, it's tough. Um, maybe it comes down to Arteta not adapting to change a bit more. He ran those guys into the ground, whereas Pep, you saw a little bit more rotation, but playing devil's advocate, they, they the, the depth Man City They have it, right. C- compared to Arsenal, where uh, City, you're bringing a guy like Phil Foden and uh, Gundogan and Bernardo Silva off the bench, whereas Arsenal, no, no disrespect, but Arsenal, you're bringing on Fabio Vieira, um, Jorginho, and uh, Reese Nelson, guys that yeah are respectable in the league. Jorginho, third in the Ballon d'Or, um, still unbelievable achievement there. <laughs> Euro champion, Premier League champion, Champions League champion. I mean, these are guys that know the league, have high potential, but aren't proven in a dogfight for titles that these other guys at City are. So it's probably a mixture, and Arteta's still growing, and he's still in Pep's shadow. But, yeah, I think Deserby definitely needs to have... I, that's why, the like, in the back of my mind, he really is the manager of the year, but you cannot take it away from Pep because if he's consistently doing it, he needs to earn it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, and then biggest surprise, mine goes right along with my manager of the year. I have Brighton, but I am curious to see who, who you have. I have two teams written down here. Um, honorable mention would definitely be Fulham for finishing the way they did in 10th after everybody thought they were going to be a yo-yo. I think that's pretty good. But uh, yeah, I have to go with Brighton, and Newcastle's a close second with... Uh, what they came from last season being in the relegation, but I can't give it to them because they had that massive investment into the club and that helped them a bit. Whereas Brighton, they've been like this for a long time and they're smart with their management and going from two years ago, being a team that we absolutely despised and thought was going to get relegated to now we've completely flipped the coin. On I love them now and change face. And we're super supportive of them and we want to see them succeed uh, as much as they can until they we get to a point where they're succeeding too much and then we're like, all right, we're sick of it, as normal fans are. You you want to see the underdog win, but once they do, you're like, okay, we want somebody new. But yeah. they're, they're still in that, that uh, baby face phase where they're new and they're, they're, uh, the eyes are big and wide and the bright lights now. They go to Euro, Euro Europa League with Liverpool now to represent the Prem. And uh, yeah, it's, it's hard not to pick Brighton because... I don't know if they can do any better with Chelsea and Tottenham reloading in 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 saying. Um, you got Brentford and Fulham and Villa pushing them. Liverpool, obviously, next year, I don't think they're going to be finishing in fifth. And Arsenal, United and City, it's, it's... The Premier League's never been as competitive as it is now. Yeah. And eventually... eventually teams are going to be doing just what Brighton are doing and it's it's tough to stay ahead of the curve like they are now for for multiple years decades so i don't know they're in that southampton phase where they have all the young talent they have a great manager young manager we saw this when potch was there and uh eventually they're going to make the wrong decision on bringing in the manager or a few players and 
it's going to hurt them. I don't know if it's going to hurt them enough to get relegated, but um, that's what sport's about. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, okay. And then disappointment. I feel like we're going to have the same one. Who do you have here? <laughs> uh, if there's Leicester is a close second. Close yeah, second. but who's first? Because I know who it is. Uh, $600 million. <laughs> four managers. Ugh. Scoring under 40 goals. Uh, finishing in the worst position in club history. Well, you've scoring... been relegated before. Well, in the Premier League era. <laughs> All right, there uh, we go. We've scored the least amount of goals in 100 years. That's for sure. It's it's got to be Chelsea. Yeah, um, me too. The only the only uh, what's the word? The only uh, consolation is we weren't the worst London club. Fortunately, we finished four points above West Ham. So, thank you, Davin Moyes, for not adding that to the resume. I mean, we'll get into this more in the future when we do our deeper review on teams. But to keep it short and sweet, everybody's heard my points week in and week out. It's it's a clusterfuck. And now everybody's happy the season's over. You want to completely erase this from your mind, which I don't think you can. Because one day later, thing the problem isn't gone. We, we have a very, very, very busy summer. We have to... Everybody's going to be working overtime, both staff, players, and uh, board, to get things fixed. Because we can't have another season like this. Because if we do, it's going to hurt us in the long run. It's going to not make players want to come here. And uh, it's something that we don't want to make a consistent basis because we don't want our standards to drop. We are a top four team. We should be the best team in London or competing with Arsenal and Tottenham in that area. So... It's a must-bounce-back must year. It's it's a lockdown summer. We can't have a hot boy summer. No, we, have no we days cannot. Off. It's a COVID summer. It's a, it's a lockdown. Lock it in. Todd Bowley, get your hands off the wheel. Big Potch is coming in with the lemons. Yep. The lemon-scented uh, car, car scent. Yep. And we're, we're going in this summer. Like I said, boys, get your runners on. We're, we're going to be running a lot of 5Ks. Yeah. That's good. That's that's what I want to hear because it wasn't. I didn't take any pleasure this year from beating you guys, and I'd like I'd like it to have been a little bit more enjoyable. That second game wasn't even a derby day. It was really no. Sad. It was just a, it was sad. It, that's exactly right. It was just sad. Um, and then our last one, uh, signing of the year, Erling Holland. Yeah, me too. Erling Holland for all the reasons we've told you all season long. Thirty six goals eight assists broke the record only 22 uh, years old 22 years old and he's got what 50 odd goals this season already 52 yeah. 58 if you count international yeah that's fucking absurd um and that's that's a fitting way to end the season this was erling holland's season truly it was the season of city um I thought maybe it would be the season of Arsenal, but it it just wasn't. The storyline all the way through was, when will Arsenal blow it? Will they blow it? Will they win? Holland and City are coming, and they certainly did. Um, so congratulations to them, and congratulations to us on finishing 
another Premier League season. Is this this is the second full season that we've done, right? Yeah, it's yeah. the second full season. It's definitely another year of learning how to work these things out. Um, this was a season where we had more more voices on here, mm-hmm. more opinions, more people to listen to and hear their takes and differ from us because it's probably gets tiring to hear the same people give the same takes every once in a while. So I really appreciate everybody that's joined this year yep. uh, coming on the pod, both when it comes to the Premier League and also NFL with Jeremy. Yep. Um, and then uh, moving forward, hopefully we can get more people on, maybe get guys more consistently on, maybe have more side side off things. I really enjoyed the more in-depth Tottenham thing we, that you and Kyle did. Yep. Um, and maybe get Boz back on too with his sort of thing. So, yeah, it was a very, very successful year in my opinion. For sure. Um, I really appreciate everybody that's been listening every week. Uh, you guys are really cool um, for coming back every week and listening to us be depressed, mainly me this season, <laughs> yeah. about our teams. And, uh, yeah, it makes me super psyched going into the summer and – not getting too into the transfers and who Chelsea makes because I, I need to see if they're good on the field first. That's right. That's a good way to look at it. Guys, thank you for listening. Make sure you check us out on social media at Post20Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we are also on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for all past episodes of the show. Uh, you can find you know everything that we've ever done on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Check us out on social media. Leave us a a like, a comment, a a subscribe, a follow, whatever it is. And let us know what you want to see because we're we're entering uh, dead content time. We've got some things already in the pipe um, for you guys, so don't worry about that. But suggestions don't hurt. Uh, Thanks for listening to this one, and we'll see you guys all next week. Take care.